open up the Word of God with me, if you would, remain standing. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians, and just for the first verse we're going to read tonight, we're going to be in chapter 9, and I want you to look with me, if you would, at verse number 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 15. Now, in this verse, the Apostle Paul is, inclu- is, is really concluding two chapters worth of teaching to the church of Corinth. And what he's teaching the church of Corinth is the context of what gospel generosity looks like. And he, he really rounds out all of his teaching with this main thought, and it's this main thought that we're going to spring from tonight as we learn about how to be generous the way that Jesus is generous. And so let's look at this verse of Scripture together here, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse number 15. The Bible says, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. And I want you to think about that just for a moment, because we all know what the gift of God was. If you don't know, let me quote John 3.16 to you. For God so loved the world that He what? Gave, And we know what that gift was, his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And here Paul says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And tonight we're going to learn what that means, an unspeakable gift. So let's pray this evening and ask the Holy Spirit of God to help us with the teaching. Heavenly Father God, we are so thankful and grateful for all that you have done for us. And Lord, we understand that knowing you personally as our Savior brings your very spirit into our lives. And that when your spirit is in our lives, when you inhabit us as your temple, we then can begin to take on your attributes. You call us to holiness. You call us to Christian love. You call us to purity. You call us to be generous. And I pray tonight as we learn this from your word that you would speak to each of our hearts individually about how we are the conduits of your generosity concerning the gospel in this world. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Early on in our marriage, my wife and I uh, got our apartment and uh, we hooked up all the utilities, and uh, we, we got a phone, and we got our own phone number, and we shared that number right there at the house. How many of you remember that phones used to hang on a wall? <laughs> My wife was showing me a video the other day of a dad uh, who had brought out, or maybe it was a grandparent, who had brought out one of those rotary phones and placed it in front of some young teenagers, and they were doing their best to figure out what that was and how you'd possibly use it. And I know we all have cell phones and stuff now, but but phone calls haven't changed a whole lot. How many of you, even though you have cell phones now, you often get calls on that phone that you didn't really want to have? Right? And it's like they will hunt you down and find you, and I don't care how many do-not-call lists you subscribe to, They find you somehow and continue to call you. Well, we were young, newly married, and uh, we received a call at our house. And the person on the other side of the phone call said, we have a gift for you. I had never received a phone call like that in my life. 
I was pretty excited. Because how many of you know you don't usually get a phone call where somebody says, I have a gift for you. And so I said, really? What is the gift? And they said, we have two full paid tickets to Disneyland and an overnight stay. And I said, that is incredible. How do I receive this wonderful gift? And they said, all you have to do is come to our little resort here in Mesa, Arizona, and uh, we will give you those tickets, and we will give you your hotel night stay. And I said, that's all I have to do? They said, that's all you have to do. I said, all right, we'll come down and get them. When can we come down and get them? Well, let us schedule you. So they scheduled us on a night that we both had free. And uh, I said, honey, uh, we're going to get in the car. We'll go down real quick, pick up these tickets, and then go do some grocery shopping or something on the way home. So she gets in the car, and we go down to this resort, beautiful resort, gorgeous resort. Hadn't, hadn't really seen anything like it in my life, and kind of felt out of place and walked in and came into the lobby, and there was a big sign there that said, come receive your free gift. And I thought, wow, they went to a lot of trouble for you and me. We got our own sign and everything. We walk in, and the arrow points into this room that, to my surprise, had all kinds of different people in it chairs set up, refreshments. I thought, man, they've gone to a lot of trouble to give us this gift. This is awesome. They invite us in. We're sitting with other people. They hand us cookies. We get juice and sit down and, you know, felt rude saying, okay, where's our tickets? We got somewhere to go because, you know, there's all this nice stuff going on. But we sit down and, you know, start greeting different people that are next to us and and finally, I, I see somebody that, that looks like they're there as part of the business that's being conducted. And I go up to him and I say, hey, we're here for our tickets. They said, oh, yeah, just a second. We'll be grabbing them for you. All of a sudden, the lights dim down and a screen opens. I'm like, where are we? And for the next three hours, they begin to show properties and resorts and I'm like what is going on and they begin to uh, conclude this video that's about 45 minutes long and say next you'll be separated into different groups where we'll explain to you how you can invest in your own vacation property and I thought we're in the wrong place we just got married we, we've got ramen soup in the cupboard. That's our food for all next week. And we sit down at this table, and this guy pulls out more brochures. And I will tell you what, it switched very quickly from becoming a gift to becoming something that we were coerced into to try to purchase. And finally, after that three-hour moment hit, and they would have gone on longer... I grabbed my wife's hand, I stood up, I said, we want our tickets. <laughs> and they gave us our tickets and we got out of there. And we went to Disneyland. <laughs> we stayed overnight, it was great. But how many of you understand that sometimes our giving and gifts aren't all that they could be and aren't all that they should be? And when we consider the generous spirit of our God and trying to see that spirit of generosity extend out through our lives as believers, we can sometimes interrupt what the true intention 
of the gift of God is and begin to manipulate it into our life and condense it down into something that's very describable and something that's right in a certain box that we've created and really limit all that God truly desires to do out of our life. And so when Paul concludes this teaching on gospel generosity to the church at Corinth, he concludes it with this context and this thought, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And what he means by unspeakable gift is that it cannot be fully described. It is an indescribable gift. Yes, of course, we know it's the Son of God, and we know He gave His life for us, and we know He rose again, and we know that freely He gives to all men who will ask Him His salvation. But you and I know that the working out of His salvation in our lives is a whole lot more than what can be condensed down into a few words or a few paragraphs. I don't know about you, but He's still working on me. And he's still working through me. And he's still performing miracles in my life. And he's still revealing himself to me. How many of you are glad we can't even begin to describe the goodness and greatness of the gift of God in our life? And it continues on every single day that we know him. The grace of God did not end at the moment of our salvation but it continues to be freely poured out in your life and in my life as we live every day under the leadership of his Holy Spirit. And so the next couple of weeks, and I hope you'll stick with me, I believe what we learn over the next couple of weeks can be very transformative in our lives concerning how we allow God to work through our life to minister out the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 8 and chapter number 9. And we're going to see what the Apostle Paul, through the Holy Spirit of God, can teach us about having a truly gospel, generous spirit. And so let's begin to dig into some of these thoughts this evening that the Apostle Paul shares with us. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8 And the first thing that I want us to see that the Apostle Paul shows us is that if we are going to really have this indescribable giving, we need to be a conduit of God's grace. We need to be a conduit of God's grace. Now, the Bible is very instructive to us. But the Bible not only instructs us through doctrine, it also instructs us through example. How many of you know that the Bible even tells us that all of the Old Testament was given to us as an example, as an example, and we look at the lives of people and we look at the interactions between men and God and we see an example as well as instruction from Scripture. And so as Paul begins to teach the church of Corinth what it truly means to have a gospel generous spirit, to have this indescribable giving he, he begins to show them an example, a real-time example that's contemporary with their own church. And here we're going to find he references some churches in Macedonia. And so let's learn together as the Apostle Paul gives us this example. Notice with me verse number 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God 
bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. So he's referencing these churches in Macedonia. And the backdrop of what he's writing to the church of Corinth concerning, as at this time in the New Testament, there was a great famine going on in the land of Judea. And it was greatly affecting the churches in Jerusalem. In fact, many of them were going without food. Many of them were starving. Many of them were suffering. And so Paul reached out to his network of church plants that he had planted there in Asia Minor. And he told them of the difficulty that the church there in Jerusalem was experiencing. And he pleaded with those churches to allow the Spirit of God to work in their life to see how they could perhaps financially help out these churches that were struggling in Jerusalem. And now they've come to the point where they're ready to go out and collect these love offerings from these various churches in order to distribute it to the church there in Jerusalem. Now, how many of you understand that we should still have that same spirit of generosity toward our struggling and suffering brethren that are amongst us today? When we hear of someone who knows Jesus and that they're having difficulty and that they're struggling, we should have a generous spirit to pray and seek guidance from the Holy Spirit about how we could be a blessing in their life. And that was what Paul was instructing and what Paul was collaborating with these other churches concerning, is meeting this need in the churches of Jerusalem. So as he's drawing close to this collection, he's encouraging this church at Corinth by giving an example of what the churches of Macedonia had done. And he begins by saying the churches in Macedonia are struggling just as bad as the churches in Jerusalem. They've entered into great poverty. They've entered into great affliction. But he says they have become a conduit of the grace of God. They've become a conduit of the grace of God. If we could advance that screen up there just one click, that'd be great. Now, as they become a conduit of the grace of God, they did not allow their personal circumstances to dictate their spirit of giving. A lot of times we put our giving in a box. I'm a Christian. I read the Bible. I know what I owe God. Yeah, 10% thing, right? And is it gross or is it, you know, it's a percentage and I'm going to give it and I'm going to do, I'm going to check my box and I'm going to do my thing and my giving is in this box. And it's dictated by my circumstances. But what Paul says is he says, yeah, there are things that the Bible teaches us about giving. Yeah, give your tithes, but also give offerings as the Holy Spirit might instruct your spirit to give liberally and generously where the occasion calls for it. And Paul says, I want you to look at the example of the churches in Macedonia. They are struggling. They are in great poverty. They are in great affliction. Yet they did not put themselves in a box and label themselves the afflicted. Hey, pass by me. Don't ask me to help. I'm wounded myself. I'm grieving myself. I'm poor myself. I'm hungry myself. And a lot of our giving, listen to me, a lot of our giving and our spirit of giving doesn't start with looking at God. It starts with looking at ourselves. 
what do I have to offer? Well, it's pretty tight for me right now. Well, I haven't gotten all the things that I want out of life yet. Well, there's so much more I could get for myself if I... So, so I'm going to give based on the box that I've put myself on concerning my circumstances. And let me just tell you, that restricts God's grace out of your life. Because God may want to and may be able to do more through you if you would be willing to allow his grace to flow through you. Let let me put it this way. A lot of us feel like our giving is something that we do for God. And our giving as a Christian is not something that we do for God. It's something that God does through us. Giving is not something that we do for God. How many of you know God doesn't need your time? He is eternal. You think you're giving God time? How many of you know we probably waste God's time more than we give God time? God doesn't need our time. Hey, get this. God doesn't need your money. Yes, he does. I know. He told me one time. No, he doesn't. How many of you know our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the gold in every mine? He doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our talent. How many believe that if God wanted to sing better than us, he could sing better than us? How many of you believe that if God wanted to do about anything better than us, he could do it better than us? He doesn't need our talent. But yet God, through his grace, has chosen that instead of doing everything himself... He wants to work through us who are not worthy. He wants us to experience his power. He wants us to experience his holiness. He wants us to experience his ministry as he works through us. And as he works through us, we become a conduit of his grace. And the more we open our life up and don't restrict it and don't put it in a box and don't define it by our own circumstances and don't say, I'm too poor to be generous. I'm too unknowledgeable to be generous. I'm too suffering to be generous. If we say, Lord, even as you are on the cross, suffering and dying and bleeding, you really shed your grace on me. And if we say, even in my time of wounding, in my time of suffering, in my time of hardship, I'm not going to put myself in a box and protect what I have from you. I'm going to open myself out and even out of my brokenness, I'm going to allow your grace to flow through my life to others. And how many of you understand that sometimes God can work better through our brokenness than through our success? In fact, the Apostle Paul had circumstances of health that were a drag on him. The Bible refers to it as a thorn from Satan that vexed him greatly. And he went to God three times saying, take this thorn away from me. And God's response was, my grace is sufficient for you. And you are made strong by me in your weakness. Now, how many of you understand our country ain't in great shape right now? And there are a lot of concerns that we could have concerning where our time goes, where our talent goes, where our treasure goes. And yet I've seen, even in my own personal ministry, how God has worked his greatest works in my life when the man-made faucets of wealth and finance are turned off, and it's simply God that has to work in our life. How many of you remember 2008? Do you remember 2008? 
How many of you got a little sick to your stomach just by saying that? It's almost like 2020. <laughs> 2008, if you're not familiar with it, that's when the Great Recession happened. The housing markets collapsed. Big banks were going under. You heard the term for the first time ever used, too big to fail, and yet everything was failing. And that was the year that God moved us away from our comfortable spot in Arizona to plant a church in Southern California. We put our house up on the market pre-market crash thinking that we were going to double our equity at that point in time to three months later, our house being worth half of what it was. We actually owed too much at that point on the house for what we could sell it for. And part of our plan for going out and planting the church was that we were going to sell that house, take the proceeds from that, and use it to give us a kickstart to get the church planted. And all of that was wiped out from us. We couldn't sell our house. We couldn't find a renter for our house. The day came when the moving truck pulled up to our house, loaded all this. And how many of you know Southern California is not the most affordable place in the world to try to live? We loaded all of our stuff up into that, that moving van and we took off for Southern California without knowing exactly where we were going to stay, without knowing what the church was going to do. We hadn't had our first service. We haven't had our first Bible study. We didn't know if things were even going to take root. And we just had it. We didn't have a rental for our home. I didn't even know how we were going to make our mortgage payment and the rent payment on something there in Southern California. We showed up to this condo that we hoped we were going to be able to rent. They messed up with the paperwork. They messed up in communicating the contract information to us. They said, you cannot stay here under the terms that we originally gave to you. Uh, we've had to change the terms. I think it underwent new management in the time that we'd, we'd kind of gotten the terms from them, and then we finally made it out there. And so the moving truck is half an hour away, and it's ready to drop off the stuff, and we have no place to live. How many of you know right then it was really tempting to say, well, we've got a home back in Arizona. Let's head back there. And in the circumstance of that, not knowing how God was going to provide, really struggling in my faith, really struggling in God, did you really call us out here or have I made a huge mistake? At a time of intense vulnerability, in a time when I did want to run right back to our comfortable house, ask my dad if he'll hire me back on as an assistant pastor, and just start back where I was, the Lord began to show us that he was going to provide for us. While we're standing there in that condo, I get a phone call from a realtor that we've been working with to try to locate different places we could live. And she said, hey, I just got a call from someone who owns a condo. It wasn't very far from where we were at. Said they need to rent it. They couldn't move into theirs either. And they need to find a renter for it. And they're willing to give it to you for $400 less a month than you were going to pay for that one. She said, are you interested? <laughs> yes! She said, okay, well, maybe uh, we can get some paperwork done. And in a couple of weeks, you can get moved in. I need, I need it now! <laughs> said, well, let me make a few phone calls. God let us move into that place without a background check, without a deposit, without anything. The moving truck... I gave them new directions to that address. The moving truck didn't skip a beat, pulled up right to that new house, unloaded all of our stuff into that new house. We moved in, saved $400 a month. Now, I make the rent payment, 
and the mortgage payment for my house back in Arizona comes up five days later, and I'm thinking, I've got no money to make that payment, Lord. What am I going to do? Two days, no, one day, one day before my mortgage payment was due, we got a renter for that house at the full asking price that we had rent for. They had a money order to us that day enough to pay my house payment and never miss a house payment the whole time we had to hang on to that house there. Now, we didn't see how any of that was going to happen, but how many of you know our God is good? And he is able. And he has done that time and time again in our lives where we've seen him come through with his promises. And that's the conduit of grace. The same grace that you benefit from every day is the same grace that flows through you every day to minister to others the way that God is ministering to you. And we find here that these churches in Macedonia that the Apostle Paul is using as this example that they were in great poverty, they were in great distress, they were having all kinds of difficulty, and yet I love these words, they abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power, verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. So this box of we don't have enough and this box of I'm going through a tough time and these circumstances didn't restrict them from being a conduit of the grace of God. They said we might not have a whole lot to give, we might not be able to give a whole lot, but we want to give what we can and if God provides us to have power to give above what we can, we want to give above what we can. If God gives us extra money, if God starts to bless us, you give us a call back, Paul, and we'll have some more that we can give to these struggling saints that are in Jerusalem. Can I ask you a question tonight? Do you put God's grace and generosity in the box of your own circumstances, or are you opened up as this big pipeline that says, if the Holy Spirit of God wants to work through my life, I'll let him give through me. We've got to change our thinking on this. We don't give to God. God gives through us. He gives through us. We are the conduit of his grace. An example of this, you know, my kids, they, when they were especially young, before any of them got jobs or got a bunch of birthday money that they were saving up, they'd like to get... Mother's Day gifts or Father's Day gifts come Mother's Day or Father's Day. It's kind of funny how that transaction takes place, you know. They want to give a gift, and so they go to mom and, hey, we're going to go shopping for the kids. And I give my wife, a, you know, 20 or something, okay, maybe a tie or something. And then my kids go, and they get the tie, and they come back, and they give me the tie that they bought with my own money. <laughs> I've got an actual shirt that my... My wife and the kids bought me says, my favorite kid gave me the, or bought me this shirt with my own money, you know. <laughs> but kind of, that's what it's like when we give to God. How many of you know that everything that we have comes from him in the first place? And so whatever he gives through us is not something that we've conjured up on our own. It's out of his grace. Uh, he's given it to us. And so whatever we give, so to speak, back to him is simply that which is his Already. And how good is our Father God 
to bless us for giving him what's already his. But that's the relationship we have with our Heavenly Father. And I'll tell you what, whenever my kids give me something they bought with my own money, I hug their necks and bless them real good. I kiss them on the cheek, I pick them up, and I hug them in my arms. Because it's the full circuit of that relationship. And so this is what the churches of Macedonia were doing. They didn't put themselves in their own box. They didn't look at their own life and say, well, what can I give? They looked at God and they said, he gave us an unspeakable gift. He's poured his grace abundantly out in my life. And I want God to give through me in that same manner. And we might not be able to give as much as the church of Corinth. Or we might not be able to give as much as the churches in Thessalonica. Or we might not be able to give as much as the churches in Ephesus. But what we have, we will give to him. And by the way, how many of you understand tonight that's all God asks is he asks for what we have in our hand. He says, out of that, use that for my honor and for my glory. So we see here that we need to be a conduit of God's grace. Notice some other aspects of this. Drop down a little bit just for sake of time tonight to verse number 7. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. And this is something that we can get mixed up in in our Christian life. There's a lot of things that we can be abounding in. And and we're very good takers of God's grace. We're very good receivers of God's grace. Like God gives us the grace of giving us faith. How many of you are glad he strengthens our faith and gives us faith? And he gives us knowledge through his word. And we'll soak that up and memorize verses and learn things from his word. And he gives us love. And and we love that he loves us. And we'll take that love and we'll, we'll respond in love. But when it comes to this grace of giving, sometimes we can struggle in it. Sometimes we don't look at it the way that we should. And Paul is encouraging the church of Corinth, you're doing great in faith and you're doing great in abounding in knowledge and you're doing great in abounding in this and that and the other thing. But it doesn't exclude you or keep you from growing in the grace of being generous, being a conduit of the grace of God. Letting his generosity flow through your life. So we see here that if we are going to have indescribable giving in our life, we need to be conduits for the grace of God. Secondly, we see that we need to be an instrument of sincere love. We need to be an instrument of sincere love. Notice with me verse number eight. I think this is important for us to learn tonight concerning indescribable giving. Notice what Paul tells the church here at Corinth, I speak not by commandment. So this is something that we need to be clear about. Paul isn't doing a shakedown on these churches. Paul isn't giving them a percentage. You ought to give this percentage. Show me your budget. Let me look through your budget. Let me see how much money you have. Let me see what you're doing with that money. And then I'm going to cut out a certain portion that you should give, and I'm going to command you to give it. This isn't by commandment. How many of you understand that commandments are good, but the law was never sufficient. How many of you are glad that when we have a relationship with God, what we should do for him should be motivated out of love, not just because we're told to do it? Now, the law doesn't pass away. The commandments still exist. Christ fulfilled the law, 
But his fulfillment of the law is that now he indwells us and gives us the capacity to walk in the spirit instead of walking in the flesh. And if we will allow him to take control of our heart and our mind and our life, then we will do things out of love for him, not just by commandment. Now, commandments to give, we're specific and we're taught, but the whole idea and understanding of giving needs to come from a heart of love. And so Paul's saying, I'm not commanding you uh, to give like Macedonia gave or as much as Macedonia gave or, or a certain percentage or a certain amount. I'm not coming to you by commandment. And when things arise, like certain focuses in our church, like we've got an upcoming missions conference. And as a pastor, I'm going to encourage our church, hey, we need to get the gospel out more. We need to focus on foreign missions. We, we support a certain amount of that out of our budget. We want to increase it. We want to get more missionaries out on the field. And so we're having a special conference so that you can connect with missionaries. You can see what we're doing with our missions money. You can see the reach that we have through our missions program. You can get a heart and a desire to see more churches planted. And then above your tithes that you use in the storehouse of God for supporting the ministry here and the outreach here and the efforts here and the teaching and preaching here and the programs here and all the things that happen here... We're saying, hey, maybe there's an area in your life that the Holy Spirit will say, I want you to be even more of a conduit than what's commanded. I'm not coming to you by commandment. Hey, if during our missions conference you never grab a faith-giving card or fill anything out, and by the way, there's no names on it, we're not taking a record of it, we just want to get a sense of what this church is, is wanting to give above tithes and offerings so we can try to take on more missionaries. Nobody's going to come to your house. It's not a telethon. It's not even a share We, by faith as a church, are just trying to get a sense of where we're at in our heart and where we're at above our normal giving so we can start to plan for taking on more missionaries. And if you don't participate in it, how many are glad you're still going to heaven? But if we want to be a conduit of God's grace... The Holy Spirit may come to you and say, hey, you're doing a great job in your tithes. You're doing a great job in your giving. But, you know, you could probably go without that, you know, 40th pair of shoes this month. You probably could go without that. You know, I'm using hyperbole here so it doesn't get too personal, you know. You could probably go without this or do without that and, and maybe cobble together $20 more a month above what you normally give to help support a missionary that we can send out all over the world. By the way, as a church, for each missionary we send out, it's $100 a month right now. We're hoping to increase that over time for each missionary. And so that's about $1,200 a year per each missionary that we support. So if you're thinking, man, I want to support a whole missionary, well, maybe God would free up $100 a month in your, in your budget. Maybe free up $5 a month. Hey, it doesn't matter the amount. What matters is whatever the Holy Spirit brings to your heart. You're willing to say, if I'm convicted about it, and if, I, if he attaches me to it, and if he calls me to it, I'm willing to be a greater conduit of God's grace as he allows me to. Now, most years in our family, uh, certain offerings come up, certain things come up, building programs have come up in our church, different things have happened. And we've been in a position financially where God's worked on our heart. We've, we've given more. Certain times, there have been times where God has, has, has said, hey, th this is shut off to you. You can't participate in this certain thing. And, and we've prayed for it. And we've participated in other ways, but we haven't been able to give to that particular thing. But how many understand as God's spirit moves and people are obedient to it, God already has planned out how he's going to provide for his ministry. 
That's faith. That's understanding that God has a plan and preparation. And so are we willing to be instruments of his love? And and let's just look at how Paul tells these people at Corinth sometimes how sincere love is measured. Notice with me, verse number eight, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others. He says, hey, this is catching, this is catching on. Macedonia is fired up about it. Other churches are fired up about it. Corinth, I'm not commanding you, but I want to get you fired up about it. And you know what? That's my job as a pastor. I don't come into your home. I don't command you about things. I don't give you the law. I don't tell you what to do. But man, I'm going to get up here and shout and spit and holler and jump and almost fall off this stage. Trying to encourage our church to be on fire for God in areas. I'm going to do my best to prepare our congregation to stand before God one day and him to look at all the ways we've stewarded the gospel. And I want us to be in a position where God can say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I can't command you to do anything. I'm just a dude in the church, member here, that God has called to be the pastor. I can't give you a commandment. All those come from God's word anyway, but I can sure encourage you. I can sure tell you how good God's been in our life as we've served him. I can sure tell you the need that's out there and how God can use you and use you as a conduit of his grace to be able to meet those needs that God wants you to meet. And he says, I don't come to you out of commandment, but I come to you because there's an occasion here. The Spirit's moving. People are getting excited about this. And they're, they're being forward and they're, they're putting their money, so to speak, where their mouth is. And notice what he says. And in this offering, in this giving, to prove the sincerity of your love. That is, a, that is a profound statement. You know what Paul's essentially saying? He's saying, you know what the real proof of what you love is? It's where your money goes. It's where your time goes. It's where your talents go. The Bible puts it this way in another passage of Scripture. Where your heart is, there will your what? Treasure be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. Where your heart is, there your treasure is. Your pocketbook shows what you love. Your time and schedule show what you love. Where you expend your resources and talents show what you love. And Paul is saying this offering that we're taking up for churches who need it, for missionaries who need it, for ministries that need it, this offering that we're taking up will be a sincere demonstration of your love. And Paul wanted it to be sincere. He didn't want it to be coerced. That's why with apostolic authority, he said, I'm not commanding this. How many of you know that Paul had quite a bit of authority in the early church being an apostle? And he could have stood up in his own right and said, this is what I want you to do. But the Spirit didn't give him that instruction. And so he said, I'm not commanding you, but I'm sure wanting to encourage you. I'm sure wanting to encourage you. So we see that there is this instrument of sincere love. Do you want to have indescribable giving flow from your life? Then be an instrument of sincere love. Notice verse number nine. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich. How did God show his love to us? He gave. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8. But God commendeth or showed his love toward us. He demonstrated his love toward us. How? That while we were yet sinners, Christ what? 
died for us. He gave his whole life. So how do we demonstrate our love? Do we demonstrate our love by looking at our generosity through the context of our own lives and our own box and our own circumstances? Or do we prove the sincerity of our love by saying, God, whatever you want to do with what's already yours, you just work on my heart and I will be the conduit of your grace. I will be your instrument of sincere love. Lastly tonight, as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, we see that if we are going to have indescribable generosity, we need to be a faithful steward of integrity. A faithful steward of integrity. Let's just be honest. Giving to ministry has become more and more difficult from the standpoint of skepticism in our world today. How many of you understand that there have been a whole lot of unscrupulous ministry that's taken place? There's been a lot of fraudulent ministry. There's been a lot of crooked ministry, morally and ethically. There have been a lot of charlatans who have demonstrated greed instead of demonstrated grace. There's a lot of the fleecing of the flock of God that has taken place in ministry. There's a lot of abuse of authority, a lot of abuse of calling, a lot of abuse of finances. And let's just face it, uh, when people are, are looking for ways to be a help, a lot of times they feel, I'll take it into my own power to do what I want with my money instead of funnel it through something I don't trust. And by the way, how many of you can say right along with me, shame on Christians for that. And I think that there's, there's a lot in Christianity that needs, needs to be repented of concerning the stewardship of what is God's. And that's why I believe that, that we need to, in our church, have integrity in our finances. We need to be clear and transparent and provide an understanding and connection about what we're doing with money and how it's being uh, used for ministry. I'm looking forward as we're ending this fiscal year and as we're preparing for our new budget and our new year to just share with our church at the beginning of the year all of the blessings that God has given us and what we're doing with our money. And I'm looking forward over this missions conference to be able to connect real time what's happening with money to ministry that's taking place overseas and have missionaries actually come in and report what's happening so you know, hey, this is real and we're doing ministry and people are getting saved and churches are being built and discipleship's taking place. And, and man, I'm going to stand before God in heaven one day having been connected to a ministry of integrity that's really using God's money for God's things. What a blessing that is. And here, Paul is going to illuminate that for us. Because he's going to say, hey, when you give your offering, we've taken great care to send people with high integrity to look after the collection of the offering, to report back the integrity of its use, and to make sure that all things are done decently and in order. And by the way, how many of you believe that we should do that for our great king? <laughs> I'm going to tell you this. God keeps excellent books, so we better too. And what we want is, as, as we show 
what God is doing to bless our ministry, we hope that that excites people to say, man, I want to do more in ministry. I want to see more churches planted. I want to see more missionaries sent out. I want to see more buildings built. I want to see next generation ministries take place. I want to see kids' wings put up. I want to see this place explode to get the gospel to our generation and to the people in our community and to meet the needs that exist here. And when we have integrity in our giving, we can get excited about continuing to do more. I won't take a great deal of time with this. We'll be done very soon. But I want us to just see here how this passage of Scripture concludes so that we can see the integrity that takes place here in this giving. Notice with me as we drop down to verse number 16 for sake of time. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. Titus is a minister that's working on behalf of the Apostle Paul in this process of getting the collection together and getting understanding about the collection and making sure that it gets to the churches in Jerusalem. For indeed, he accepted the exhortation being uh, more forward of his own accord. He went unto you and we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches and not that only, but uh, who was also chosen out of the churches to travel with us with this grace which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord and declaration of your ready mind. Avoiding this, that no man should blame us in this abundance which is administered by us, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. Whether any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you, or our brethren be inquired of, they are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. Wherefore, show ye to them, and before the churches, the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, these guys are coming. They've been vetted. Uh, They're known abroad in these churches. They have impeccable integrity. We're not just sending people off the street to collect money. And we plan on reporting back to you. And if you have any questions about the process, bring those questions forward. And and this is what we want in our ministry. We want to be able to provide for you information. We want to be able to provide for you an understanding of the ministry that's going on. We want to provide for you a real partnership together and what's flowing forth from this church so that you can be excited about it, so you can pray for it. I've loved on Wednesday nights how we've been sharing at intervals uh, a missionary information and getting to you an understanding of the scope of our missions program so that when you give to it, it's not just like, well, I'll give to missions. I hope something good's going on there. You know the things that are taking place. I'm getting ready to have a conversation with the Summers, who've now been back in ministry down in Guatemala. And uh, they were texting with me the other day. They were just getting ready to go. And you know, how many of you know if supply chains are rough here, they're rough pretty much everywhere, especially in third world areas. And they finally got a hold of this part that they need for this oven that I know that we've given to. And so hopefully by the time our missions conference is, is ready to roll, we'll be able to show an interview I'm having with them and we'll be able to say pictures of the work that's done. What is part of that? Well, it's for our encouragement but it's also for our accountability. It's so that we understand the scope of ministry and the things that are taking place in ministry. Now, as we consider an indescribable gift, it's about more than just putting time into something. It's about more than just putting talents into something. It's about more than just throwing some money in an offering plate. 
It's about opening up our lives to be the conduit of God's grace. It's about connecting with the integrity of what takes place in ministry. It's about making sure that we have a heart that God can use in any way he desires to be effective in getting the message of his gospel out. And so as our missions conference continues to draw close, I want you to pray. And, and, and quite frankly, God's answer may be, no, not at this time. You're doing great. Keep giving what you're giving. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing well. But as you see the missionaries come and you hear of the needs that take place in these countries and you see the work that's being accomplished, maybe you'd pray and you'd say, God, if there is an area where I can demonstrate my love by getting ministry rooted in other places of the world, would you work on my heart to show me an area of my life that I could free up financially to give a little bit more in this area, a little bit more toward this work, a little bit more toward this foreign mission program? And so I'd encourage you, we've got these on the back tables in all of the lobbies, to take one and just pray over it. Maybe God doesn't do anything, but maybe he does do something. And what he does throughout our whole church is exactly what he plans to do as we're obedient to him. And I'm looking forward to seeing what the almost seven or so missionaries that have presented their work since our last missions conference. I'd love to be able to call them and say, our church has, has raised the money and we want to take you on along with our other missionaries that we're sending out. Because I am compelled and convinced I am compelled and convinced we need to do more to get the gospel out, not less. We need to do more to get the gospel out, not less.